0: Good morning. Happy Thursday, guys. I'm going to go ahead and continue reading from Circus Mirandus by Cassie Beasley. We are on Chapter 17, Chintzy's News. Circus Mirandus had rarely been as stirred up as it was on its first night in Peel. Most of the performers still didn't know why they had been dropped onto a new continent so unexpectedly, and the manager was endlessly calling staff meetings to keep everyone up to date. Tents had to be set to rights, and schedules had to be rearranged. And of course, there was the usual caruffle with the lingerie because no matter how many times they had done it and done it the animals still thought that traveling by door was a rotten idea Chensi was busy as well when she wasn't zipping here and there with messages she was trying to convince everyone to use light vendor even though the man who vents light was being stubborn about the new name the light vendor was trying to put his tent in order when Chensi flew in to share the latest news "'Because of the sudden move, his books were scattered everywhere, "'his clothes were strewn all over the floor, "'and Chinsey's perch was missing. "'She sat on top of his dressing table "'while he stalked back and forth amid the wreckage. "'It was Victoria,' Chinsey squawked. And the picture on the old man's wall, "'he didn't want to talk about it, but it was her. "'That is impossible,' he said. "'It doesn't make any sense. "'How could Ephraim possibly know her?' "'I'm not a liar.' "'I never called you one.' "'He picked up a lantern, looked at it with vacant expression, "'then set it back down in exactly the same place.' but it doesn't make sense. That's not all, she bobbed up and down eagerly. He didn't look at her. Did you deliver the message to Ephraim, he asked? Did you tell him? I told him, Chinsy squawked. Did you hear me? I said, that's not all. All what, she hissed at him. That's not all about her, there's more. He tossed his hand up into the air. I cannot worry about her, not today, not right now. That's new, he glared at her. If you are not careful, I will make you look and sound and smell like an ostrich to everyone for an entire week. Chinsey froze. You wouldn't. He started stacking books on the shelves. Chinsey shuffled back and forth on the dressing table until she thought she might explode. It's important, she burst out. I don't care if you turn me into an ostrich. The lightbender sighed and his his shoulders hunched. What? In the picture, she was wearing a dress with spots on it, Chinsey said darkly. Is that significant? She was wearing a dress. The lightbender had the nerve to look confused. Victoria was or is a girl. They do things like that. It was a pretty dress, and it was in a suit, and he was in a suit, and they were standing very close together. chensi nodded sag- sagely, but the light vendor still looked baffled. She decided she had better spell it out for him. I suspect, she said, that they might have hatched eggs with each other. He stared at her for so long that chensi thought he was having trouble coping with the gravity of the situation. She started sorting through the Im- Through the things on the dressing table with her beak to see if he had any smelling salts lying around, but then a sound came out of him that stopped her in her tracks. That horrible light bender, that wretched magician was laughing his head off. She had never seen anything like it. He almost never laughed, and now he was actually clutching at the shelves for support while he cackled like a madman. He obviously cracked under the pressure of the last few days. I'm serious, she shrieked. I am so sorry, he gasped between chuckles. I know you are. Micah Tuttle might be Victoria's grand chick.' That sob sobered him up. He might. He conceded. But it hardly mattered—or excuse me, it hardly matters right now. We haven't even met the boy yet. It will matter to the head. You know it will. Not as much as you think. He said. He caught her doubt-filled eyes with his own. Let's not mention it to him just yet, though. I can keep a secret. The head boy—or the head—was too busy to listen to me anyway. But no more laughing, she snapped her beak at him. I don't understand why you thought it was so funny. He held one hand over his mouth to hide, what he was sure was an inappropriate grin. My dear parrot, I have to tell you, human children don't hatch out of eggs. Chapter 18, The Amazing Amazonian Bird Woman. Victoria Starling was 13 years old when her father's third insanity came upon him. Kinder individuals might have called the third insanity a movement of divine inspiration or simply a change of heart, but Victoria's mother had been married to Mr. Starling for two legitimate insanities. She wasn't inclined to take the more charitable view. Victoria herself was never charitable. She thought it was a tremendous waste of effort. The first insanity had begun just after the Starlings were married and it involved an obsession with millinery, which is a fancy word for hat making. Mr. Starling quit a lucrative career in banking, in order to make flowery ladies' hats. They were all quite ugly, and after his retirement, a certain museum kept the collection in storage so that they might bring it out during one of those dry spells when people grew tired of seeing Egyptian sarcophagi. The hat insanity ended just after Victoria's birth, and the second insanity began. Mr. Starling moved his family to the untamed wilds of Canada in order to take up a career as a furrier which is a fancy way of saying that he ran about the woods conking small animals on the head and peeling their skins off. Mr. Starling was better at conking and peeling than anyone else. He made a great deal of money and his daughter enjoyed every luxury a young girl could possibly want. Mr. Starling had gowns and chocolates and porcelain dolls shipped in by truckload, but Victoria was never quite satisfied with these offerings. What good were fine gowns if there was no one around to be jealous of how lovely you were in them? She craved the admiration of others, and that was in short supply in the untamed wilds. Victoria felt certain that she was destined for somewhere much more unusual and glamorous. Her father's third insanity was a tremendous disappointment. I came in the night and drove Mr. Starling out of bed. He woke his wife and daughter to announce that he was determined to be a missionary, so tribes, two tribes of heathens living in the Amazon rainforest. He was sure these tribes existed in untold numbers and that there would, they would greet him with open arms. Mrs. Starling and Victoria protested in an extraordinary length and volume, but Mr. Starling would hear none of it. "'I have found my true calling, darling,' he said to his wife. "'Aren't you happy for me?' She burst into tears. Mr. Starling reminded her that she hadn't been all that excited about Canada either. The third insanity took off at record speed. Mr. Starling sold his superior business for bottom dollar and informed his wife and daughter that they would be allowed only one suitcase each for the journey, since they would be dedicating themselves to a life of poverty.' Then Mr. Starling made his fatal mistake. Instead of traveling by ships or trains like a normal man of the times, he decided to call in a favor from a friend who had an airplane. The airplane would have to make stops along the way, but it would get them started on their missionary faster than anything else. I won't do it, Mrs. Starling cried. I won't go up in one of those gnaw-fangled contraptions. I won't, Mrs. Starling said. I won't, I won't until the day arrived and she was stuffed along with her gigantic suitcase into the tiny plane. For her part, Victoria didn't say much at all. She had never experienced one of her father's insanities before. It was a lot like being struck by lightning out of a clear sky. At first, she was too baffled by the turn her life had taken to be angry, but then began to change when she saw the plane. You're not serious, she said flatly. It was the first time she had spoken in days. I won't be subjected to this nonsense. It's perfectly safe, sweetheart, said the pilot, shoving her in beside her mother. I've flown this beauty four or five times. And it's never failed me once. Unfortunately for the Starling family, the fifth or sixth time didn't go so well. When Victoria stopped sobbing, the first thing she noticed was that that falling was taking her much too long. Propellers, suitcases, parents, these all had dropped at more or less the same speed toward the earth so far below her. But judging by the sun, that had been hours ago. She was a well-educated girl, and she knew such a thing shouldn't be possible. All of this from the very beginning had been a horrible dream. The thought filled Victoria with determination. If she could pinch herself hard enough, she would wake up safely on the ground at home in her beautiful fur-covered bed and everything would be back to normal. She pinched the inside of her elbow until her skin bruised. Victoria stared at the bruise and the longer she started, the more furious she became. How could her parents have put her in this situation? How could they have died in such a horrible, ridiculous way? "'Selfishness, that was the answer. "'Her father had wanted to be a missionary of all things "'when his daughter was clearly made for something greater, "'and her mother hadn't protected her from the madness. "'They had failed to recognize how special she was. "'Look at me now, she thought. "'I'm not falling to the dirt. "'Like some pathetic regular person, I'm remarkable. "'How dare they refuse to see it?' "'She wanted to scream. "'Her parents had gotten it all wrong. "'The only way to prove how unforgivably wrong "'they had been about everything "'was for Victoria to do it all the correct way. "'She would be rich. "'She would be famous. "'She would be powerful.' She pointed her face toward the south and started to fly. Over the course of the next few months, Victoria Starling wandered in search of fame and glory. At some point, she discovered a gift for singing. All manner of birds flocked to her, mesmerized by her voice, as she kept a collection of her favorites as pets. Though her talents were substantial, she soon realized that opportunities to show them off were not. County fairs and traveling sideshows provided her with just enough food and shelter, but they weren't what she had had in mind when she set out. And it was difficult to find money for things like soap, never mind for coats. Sometimes Victoria had the terrible thought that she was starting to look the, the gra- the raggled. but her luck changed that winter. She was flying away from an unusually grimy, grimy traveling fair when she looked down and spotted surface Mirandus. Victoria could almost feel the magic radiating through the air and she knew that this was it, the place that was meant for her. She flew right up to the manager's tent and introduced herself as an amazing Am- Amazonian bird woman. She, talked, or she asked about a job requests like Victoria's came along every century or three people with strong magic were few and far between and Circus Miranda's held a great appeal for such gifted individuals. Miranda's head considered each and every everyone with extreme care and usually his decisions were made easily enough. Victoria's case posed an unusual difficulty though the manager and a few of his top performers watched her audition in the main tent with a growling feeling or excuse me a growing feeling of unease. She was as graceful in the air as a follows. She sang like one of the angels, but her personality, well, it left something to be desired. Circus Mirandus was in the business of nurturing magic in the world. The, performers were, inspir- 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 the form- performers were inspirers of children. It was a calling that required a special sort of person, and if, it, and if he was honest with himself, Mr. Head had to admit that Victoria didn't really fit the description. She was volatile and inexperienced, and she was entirely convinced of her own importance. She was also 14 years old. How could he leave her to fend for herself? She landed before him in a cloud of sawdust. Her hands were on her hips and she was smiling brightly. Well, she said, it's a pretty fantastic show. I'm sure you agree. So do we have a deal? He might've said no. He was about to say no. He couldn't risk circus Miranda's mission on someone as proud and untried as Victoria Starling. But one of the performers, one who had been watching from his own private patch of shadow spoke up. She's just a girl. The shadows fell away from the man who bends light as he approached the manager. I can keep an eye on her, he said. If anyone else has made the offer, Miranda's head would have rejected it. The man who bends light was not anyone else. And we're going to continue reading since the first chapter of 17 was shorter. So I'm going to continue with chapter 19. Indefinite Invitations. Just after 11 o'clock that night, Micah stood on the sidewalks in front of his house. He was wearing his grandfather's bootlace for luck, and he had freed the cue from his from its poster board and stuffed it into his coat pocket also for luck he was crossing his fingers and his toes while he waited for jenny to arrive it was the kind of night that seemed to require good fortune in the largest possible amount the temperature had dropped since earlier in the day and micah breathed puffs of fog that only survived for an instant in the steady breeze he kept one eye on the upstairs windows in case Aunt protrudes woke up and decided to look outside and the other eye on the empty street in front of him the parked cars were dark and quiet. Most of the neighbors' houses were too. He had managed to get his bicycle out of the garage that afternoon without his aunt noticing. He had been several It had been several months since he had ridden it, and the tires were half flat. He didn't know how far they would have to ride tonight. Following the wind sounded exciting and all, but he couldn't help thinking that as far as directions went, it was a little vague. Micah heard Jimmy coming before he saw her. The pooch prowler rattled as it bounced down the sidewalk. She was wearing her bike helmet, jeans, hiking boots, and a dark jacket. Her hair was in one thick braid instead of two. Micah suspected this outfit was the Jenny version of bow armor. Are you ready? She asked when she reached him. There was a bit of tremble in her voice, but Micah decided not to mention it as he climbed onto his own bike. He licked his index finger and held it up to the wind that the way he had seen people do in movies. It's blowing that way. This is so crazy, Jenny muttered. So, so crazy. Only a couple of, months of cars passed them as they headed downtown, and Micah was glad the streets were quiet tonight. The last thing they needed was a concerned adult stopping to ask them questions. They didn't talk much while they rode. Micah wasn't sure what Jenny was thinking about, but his own thoughts were a jumble of hope and worry. What if the wind stopped? What if it didn't, but it led them on and on until morning? What if Aunt Gertrudis or Jenny's parents realized they were missing? They paused twice to check the wind's direction and readjust their course. As they set off the second time, Jenny cleared her throat. Micah, if this circus is really here, it's here. I was just going to say that if it is, I think I know where it will be. Micah looked at her. Her expression was equal parts thoughtful and worried. Where, he asked. There's only one place big enough for a circus in this part of town, she said. Do you remember last week? Micah caught the idea. They flew those balloons, he said. He should have thought of that himself. The weatherman had mentioned it just yesterday morning for the grand opening of the new recreation department complex, Jenny finished. If a whole circus is around here somewhere, that's the only place for it to be. Michael mulled over the thought as they pedaled past the lightless windows of houses and offices. He knew Circus Miranda's didn't necessarily have to follow normal rules about space. His grandfather's descriptions told him that much. But why wouldn't they take advantage of a large open area whenever they could? If it's not not at the new rec department, said Ginny hesitantly, I think maybe we should go back home. I can't go back home. Not until I find the light bender. He wouldn't... Go back even if he had to ride until his bicycle's bicycles wheels fell off. Micah, she trailed off as they reached a crosswalk. They waited for the walk sign even though there wasn't a car in sight. The Peel Recreation Fields were just ahead. Micah eyed the entrance and his hopes dissolved. It looked spitefully boring. Scruffy privacy hedges separated from the street and a huge sign with black letters gave directions toward the parking lot. When they turned into the main drive, the ball field stretched out before them like a quilt. This doesn't look right, Micah thought. This doesn't look like any place special. It even smelled unmagical, like grass and paint and fresh asphalt. He peered ahead, aching to spot anything out of the ordinary, but the short grass was broken only by fences, light poles, and... Holy smoke, said Jenny. They coasted to a stop. Giant balloon creatures loomed eerily in the moonlight. Each one was a sport mascot that had flown high over the new complex last week to mark the grand opening. They had been visible from halfway across town. Now they were tethered to the ground with ropes and stakes in a field that was probably going to be a baseball diamond. When the Recreation Department got rid of the King Kong-sized inflatable gorilla in the outfield, there were, a wa- there were a wasp, a bear, and a man who Micah thought might be a soldier of some kind, but the gorilla was the biggest. Four thick ropes anchored him to the ground. I guess they're keeping them around for publicity, Jenny said, or maybe they want to find them in the May Day Parade. Micah gazed up at the balloons, the quiet of the empty fields pressed against his ears until, as though it had been waiting for the perfect moment, a sound wove its way into his awareness. He shut his eyes and concentrated. It was faint and distant at first, but it seemed to grow stronger than the longer he listened. It was music. It was pipes and drums. Do you hear that? He asked Jenny. She shook her head. I don't hear anything. It's the music. The music Grandpa Ephraim heard. Micah could feel it now, pulling him toward it. You were right, Jenny. They are here. Jenny frowned down at the pavement, and Micah knew she was listening with all her might. Well, she said, not really. Where do you hear it? They parked the bicycles by the concession stands, and Micah led the way. Micah had thought seeing the circus for the first time would be astonishing somehow, but it was the most natural thing in the world when it happened. Between one step and the next, he found himself face-to-face with the place. Grandpa Ephraim had described to him so many times. Circus Miranda's had made a spot for itself between two baseball fields, and it seemed right "'to Micah that it should be there. "'The tents, the fluttering pennants, the meadow, "'the circus looked like it had been waiting for him all along. "'The wind pushed him forward, the music pulled him forward. "'He had thought he would have a hard time "'keeping his promise to Grandpa Ephraim. "'How was he supposed to enjoy himself "'when he was on a mission? "'Now, though, he was full to the brim with the sight of it. "'It's beautiful, he breathed. "'Isn't it perfect?' "'What are you talking about?' Jenny said. "'She was giving him a concerned look. "'Or concerned look. "'What's perfect?' "'The circus, of course.' She looked right at the soaring tents. She blinked. Are you, are you feeling all right? You're joking, said Micah. He pointed toward the circus. Aren't you? Circus Mirandus is here. It's right here, just like you said it would be. At first, she didn't seem to believe him. She gripped her braid hard and she stared at what, at where he was pointing until her eyes started to water. I don't know. I don't know. She said, this doesn't make sense. You wouldn't lie to me though, Micah, would you? Micah's chest tightened at her frantic tone. No, no, I promise, Jenny. He grabbed her arm and dragged her forward just a little closer, and I'm sure you'll see we're just not close enough. But there were more than but they were more than close enough for Micah to see it. Okay. Jenny's voice turned serious so quickly that it, he checked to make sure he was leading the right person. There must be a logical explanation for this. He could practically see her brain churning. Cameras, she said, snapping her fingers. I've heard of this. They can make things appear invisible using lots of tiny cameras and screens to reflect a different image. Really? Mike asked. Maybe that's it. He kept tugging her forward. If he pulled her all the way into Circus Marinus, the magic would have to show itself to her, wouldn't it? Oh, please let her see. it, He thought it's not fair if she can't see it. I must just keep catching it from the wrong angle, said Jenny. They had reached the ticket taker's line. I'll see it soon. Understanding struck Micah like a punch to the stomach. Jenny couldn't see Circus Marinus because she wasn't looking for Circus Marinus. She never had been. He stopped walking and turned to her. It's not cameras, Jenny, he said. What else could it be? He took a deep breath. Do you trust me? Of course I do. He looked her in the eyes. It's magic, Jenny. It's magic. That's why you can't see it. You have to believe me. She was already shaking her head. Micah, I can't. Please, he squeezed her arm even tighter. Please try to believe. But it's impossible, she cried. It's ridiculous. Can't you even pretend? Didn't you ever pretend that magic was real? Jenny's eyebrows scrunched together in confusion. Just pretend for a second, he hears. Just say it's a magic circus just once. Maybe she didn't have to believe all the way. Maybe believing a tiny bit would be enough. It's a magic circus, Jenny said. Like you mean it, she scowled at him. It's a magic circus. For several long heartbeats, nothing happened. Then Jenny's eyes widened. Oh, she said. How? The sigh of relief, Micah pulled her into line. He spied the ticket taker just ahead. It was Jeffrey who had been there since 500 BC. He looked just like Grandpa Ephraim had described him right down to the golden monocle. Micah whispered this to Jenny while they waited. It's probably a family-run operation. He'll be the son or nephew of the original one, I imagine. Micah shook his head and groaned when he had said she only had to pretend magic was real for a second. He hadn't really meant it. Grandpa Ephraim had warned him, but he hadn't thought it would be like this. How could she not understand? Which is excellent news for you, she said. It means that whoever the current light vendor is will probably be related to the old one. He might even have heard of your grandfather from his own predecessor. Wouldn't that be something? She was so excited for him that she was bouncing on the balls of her feet. He refused to regret bringing her. She would see once they were inside. It would be impossible for her to ignore the truth forever. Coming in, said a voice right next to Micah's ear. He jumped. Jeffrey was standing there, blinking at him through his monocle. Got your ticket? Don't you sell them? Jenny asked. Isn't that your job? That was when Micah realized that they might have a problem. You couldn't buy a ticket to Circus Mirandus. It wasn't that kind of place. Micah understood this, even if Jenny didn't. She was already arguing with Jeffrey about the definition of the words. Legal tender for all debts. Apparently, they were stamped on the $5 bill in her hand. The wind ruffled Micah's hair, and he had an idea. He pulled the koopoo out of his pocket and gave it a few shakes so that it untangled itself. He held it out for Jeffrey. The ticket taker took it and stared at it through his monocle for a long moment. This isn't a ticket, Michael, Micah Tuttle. Micah's heart stopped. He didn't have anything else that might be a ticket. This is an invitation, said Geoffrey. How did you know his name? Jenny said slowly. How long is the invitation for, Micah asked, which seemed like a much more important question. Jeffrey switched his monocle to the other eye and gave him a searching look. Indefinitely. Jenny looked impressed. Do you mean it's good forever? Oh, said Geoffrey. Now look who doesn't know her definitions. She drew her shoulders back and opened her mouth, but Geoffrey cut her off. I mean, it's good for as long as it's good, he said, and then it's not. Micah still wasn't sure what indefinitely meant based on their conversation, but he understood that it was being allowed into the circus. He took Jenny's hand and pulled her toward the entrance. Jeffrey cleared his throat. Invitation doesn't have her name on it. He held the cuckoo up as if to prove it, and Micah gri- gripped Jenny's hand tighter. Her name's right there, he said, pointing at the yellow strand, and that spelled out Jenny's name in their not alphabet He knew that wasn't at all what the ticket taker had meant. But he also knew that he wasn't about to leave his friend out here by herself. Hmm, said Jeffrey. He peered at the coop. If, if that's how you want to play it, he stepped aside and made a sweeping gesture with one arm. Welcome, Michael Tuttle and friend to Circus Mirandis. And finally, at long last, Micah stepped into his grandfather's story. That's the end of chapter 19. And I really want to continue. I know we've been reading quite a few Chapters here, but I want to finish up with chapter 20. It's another short one. So the last chapter for today, Circus Mirandis. Micah could see the golden flag at the top of the light vendor's tent shivering in the breeze, but it might as well have been miles away. Circus Mirandis wasn't the kind of place you could navigate quickly. Magic was everywhere. The air smelled of grass and smoke and chocolate cake. Lights twinkled overhead like extra stars, and children crowded around groups of performers in exotic costumes. The music Micah had heard was still playing, the drums throbbing in time to Circus, circus Mirandis's pulse. He had to struggle not to lose himself in the wonder of it all. Jenny wasn't faring any better. Almost as soon as they entered, she was distracted by a tent that seemed to be made entirely of silver smoke. What on earth? She muttered as she walked around it looking for the entrance. How did they? When Micah reached out to touch the smoke, it drifted away from his fingers. Come on, he said. We have to go. Jenny nodded, and they set off again only to pause when they passed a woman in green striped overalls who was handing out different kinds of candy. A flock of children had surrounded her. Most of them were chewing on jelly cubes that lit up whenever they bit down on them, and the candy glowed right through the skin of their cheeks. One girl had so many stuffed in her mouth that she looked like she was trying to swallow a strand of Christmas tree lights. Want one? The candy lady called to Mike and Jenny. They did, of course, but she didn't wait for them to tell her, so she sent two of the cubes spinning up into the air and they raced toward Micah and Jenny like Comet. Micah caught the orange one, and Jenny caught the pink. Jenny examined hers like she was trying to turn her eyes into microscopes, then popped it into her mouth. Her cheeks slid up. It tastes like rose petals, she mumbled thoughtfully while she chewed. Micah wrinkled his nose. I'm sorry. I like it. Micah nibbled his own as they headed deeper into the circus and found that he was mango-flavored, like the ones Grandpa Ephraim tasted. He reminded himself he had to stay on track. They wove their way through a crowd of children, who were watching a man on a stage put on a funny play all by himself. First, he was a baker in a chef's hat and coat. Then in the time it took to blink, he transformed into an old lady with a crooked spine, ordering a cake for her beloved Jojo's birthday. Then he shrank down to become a beloved Jojo who was a white rat, the size of a watermelon. All of these changes happened so quickly that Micah couldn't follow them. He took another bite of his candy and shook his head. Come on, Jenny. They moved more quickly as they approached their goal. And they were only distracted for a moment by a swarm of glittering fairies and butterflies. Dozens of them flitted past Micah's nose, and when he looked closely, he realized that it wasn't butterflies and fairies together. It was a group of fairies that could turn into butterflies, their wings hummed in the night air. They darted toward Micah and they, and then away again, as though they were trying to tease him into following them. He smiled, remembering what that Grandpa Ephraim had done just that. Sorry, he said, I've got somewhere else to go. The light vendor's tent appeared around the next bend. It was black with a pattern of gold suns, and it was in the quietest part of the circus they had been to so far. No other children stood near the tent, and if not for the distant shouting and laughter, Micah might have thought the circus was closed. It seemed like they were—that like there ought to have been more fanfare surrounding the place he had wanted to see for so long. A strong man with a bowler hat stood guard over the tent. He was bare-chested except for a pair of suspenders, which Grandpa Ephraim had never mentioned. Micah guessed it was hard to find shirts that fit if your shoulders were as wide as Aunt Gertrude's old Buick. He and Jenny walked up to the tent to read the sign next to the entrance. The next showing for the man who had been slight wasn't until 2 a.m. So late, Micah groaned. So early, Jenny corrected. The dark entrance to the tent had a bright golden rope hanging across it. Micah thought it looked like it would be easy to slip underneath, but then he glanced at the guard. The strong man tipped his bowler hat down over his eyes and shook his head once. I need to see him right away, thought. Right away, though, said Micah. I think I have an appointment. The strong man didn't reply. He also didn't move away from the entrance. It's not that long of a wait," Jenny said. "Don't you want to see anything else?" Micah didn't want to see anything else, but he also didn't want to get into an argument with any of the circus people. When he was trying to make a good impression, he remembered that Grandpa Ephraim's second favorite part of Circus Marinus had been the flight show. He took a tentative step closer to the strongman. "Excuse me," he said as politely as he could. "Where's the bird woman's tent?" The strongman slowly pushed his bowler hat back up and stared. "What do you know about the bird woman?" Micah thought it sounded like a trick question. My grandfather came to Circus Miranda's when he was my age and he liked her show. The strong man didn't seem didn't seem to need to blink. Victoria, he said, the bird woman, she left. A jolt of electricity crackled up Micah's back. But Victoria was a common name, he reminded himself. Of course it was just a coincidence. Oh, he couldn't imagine why anyone would want to leave this place. You're the Tuttle boy, the strong man said. Jenny turned to Micah. The man at the gate knew your name too. Why does everyone know your, your name? Micah didn't have an answer for her. He had thought that the light vendor would be expecting him because of Chintzy, but not everyone else. He held out his hand to the strong man. He wasn't sure he wanted to shake hands with someone who might accidentally squ- squash him. But The importance of good manners was the only thing Grandpa Ephraim and Aunt had ever agreed on. I'm Micah. A calloused hand, four times as large as Micah's, shook his gently. Jeffrey should have told you to stop by the mingare, said the strong man. The manager wants to have a look at you. And that is where we will end for today. Thank you for listening. Have a great afternoon.